0: Since the bonus two man game inside, Thomas, dominant dynamite inside on that one. Not afraid, and he got some dog in. And the steal, they can tie it with a three. Murray, yes! A Murray miracle in the
1: desert. Welcome back to another episode of the Kings Pulse Podcast presented by the Kings Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and today I'm joined by Chris Biederman who covers Sacramento Kings for the Sacramento Bee, also does the Candlestick Chronicles podcast on the 49ers, which is a little bit of a sadder topic than the first one for the first time in who knows how long. But how you doing, Chris?
0: <laughs> I'm doing well, man. How's it going?
1: Doing good. Uh, appreciate you hopping on. Um, you are, correct me if I'm wrong, the only local reporter traveling with the team right now?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's I'm the I'm the only one on the road right now. Jason Anderson and I sort of switch off road trips. Um so I got this one, or at least the first half of it. Uh so I went to Minnesota for two games, did the um did the game in San Antonio last night, and uh I'm in Indianapolis right now for uh for the Tyrese Halliburton sabonis bowl with uh with the Pacers tomorrow night.
1: Yeah, two All Stars, which uh we'll we'll get to the All Star conversation. Right but I want to backtrack a little bit on these last three games um, and get your Mm -hmm. perspective. First of all, like that, that first night after the first game against Minnesota um, just how much did coach kind of light into the team for, for their defense there?
0: Yeah, that that's always a sticking point, right? I it, particularly early in the game when you allow D'Angelo Russell to just kind of ease into a lot of open looks, and he starts a game eight for eight, and it feels like they didn't really respond to his shooting until, I don't know, some point in the second quarter. And at that point, it's you're sort of digging yourself a hole, right? So, so for them, you know, Mike Brown talks about it. You know this as well as anybody. Just just making the opposing team feel you um and with Anthony Edwards it's you know he's obviously a tough cover as tough of a cover as, as anybody in the league really but they were almost you know a little too leery um of of him driving and and him exploding past them and getting to the lane and and one thing mike brown said and and other coaches said was that you know you you don't want to give him too much space and just allow him to rise up over you because he's got he's got so much size and gets so much elevation on his, on his three point shots in particular that um, you know, when it it might look like a contested look in theory, but given how high he releases the ball and um, it's just not that difficult of a shot for him. So they would almost rather have their defenders, particularly on Ann Edwards, like play up on him and make those threes a little bit tougher and risk having him being able to drive past you because at least then, you're playing to your defensive help a little bit. You're forcing him to spray to some other shooters, um, and and so that's one thing that that Mike Brown talked about in particular after that um, after that first Minnesota loss. And then the Kings obviously played a lot better. Mike Brown said on in that Monday night game, um, their defense, particularly in the first quarter, was probably w- top three defensive quarter they've had all season. Uh, so that that obviously stood out. Demontis Sabonis gets in foul trouble um but you still get another good scoring performance from Darren Fox in the fourth quarter you get and you know this I've been pining for for Trey Lyles to get some run as a backup <laughs> five you get Trey Lyles yeah. to 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 play to play center in overtime and and he gives Rudy Gobert and and Minnesota all sorts of problems just because of his his versatility and his willingness to you know throw his weight around a little bit he tried to to be really physical with Rudy Gobert um, he boxed him out for a rebound, allowing one of his teammates to get a rebound. He drew a foul on the offensive end, trying to trying to get after the offensive glass, which was a big moment. And obviously, he had the corner three and uh, and a driving dunk, and was left wide open too. So I, I just think you know Trey Lyles can give them something that's that's a little bit different. And I think you know come come playoff time, I wouldn't be surprised if that's something the the Kings pull out of their back pocket um, if. You know, if if they ever need to with Demonte Sabonis off the floor, but no, overall, I mean, you know, what's interesting and an interesting thing about the Kings is, you know, they're seventh in defensive rating on the road, and that number is about 110 points per 100 possessions, which is obviously vastly different than you know what what being seventh in, in home in, in defense at home would look like. That that number is probably around, I don't know, 109 or 110, something like that. Um, but the Kings can play defense like that. It, it's not it's not completely foreign to them, but or, I mean, it seems completely foreign to them, I guess, by results. But but sometimes like they they can show that they can play defense and they're one of the worst. You know, they're seventh, I think the sixth or seventh best defensive team on the road in the NBA and their bottom three, I think last time I checked in defense at home. And so maybe that's. You know, maybe that's a mindset type thing. Maybe they're just they just assume that they're going to hit a bunch of threes at home. And and no matter what, they're going to be able to shoot themselves out of whatever position they end up getting in in any given game. But um, I, I just think more so I know we're going to talk about roster stuff, but more so than like roster construction right now, I, I think it's just like more of a mentality thing. Like they just need to mature as a team and just. Hold, hold that defensive consistency night in and night out um which is difficult for them cuz obviously they don't have the most defense forward or defense first roster i should say but um they can play defense at a reasonable level and i think if they do get to that point where they're playing defense with more consistency they're going to be they're going to be a really good team and you know they're already the third team in the west in, the, in terms of seeding so i, I think I think they still have an opportunity to get better with the roster they already have. And, um, you know, I'm curious to see how this how this game against uh, the Pacers goes on Friday because they're not going to have De'Aaron Fox. And and maybe that gives us an opportunity to see what Davion Mitchell can give them with more minutes. I, I've been very curious as to what Mitchell could could offer the Kings in a more expanded role because all the numbers suggest that obviously their best lineups include him. Um, but their offensive lineups with him are also pretty good. So that'll be an interesting game on Friday for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think the point of attack defense specifically from De'Aaron in that second game was phenomenal in, in that first quarter. like to kind of to what you said, like Mike, Mike Brown talking about how how impressive that first quarter was defensively. I, I think it started with De'Aaron to me. And, and maybe that's just, you know, being the one guarding point of attack and kind of setting the to- setting the tone from there um but what you mentioned with coach brown of or how the team in general has shown they can play defense but then sometimes it just doesn't happen has been one of like yeah. the more vocal frustrations from coach brown it's like i'm only on these guys because i know we can do it we've i've seen it um and he said that many times throughout the course of this year and the home and road thing is really weird like maybe it's just a sense of comfort at home and and it's like the only time they've had really bad losses outside of maybe like the loss to the Knicks at MSG is the only one that p- comes to mind. Like most of their bad losses were at home and I, d- I don't know what it is. They're also way better offensively at home. So maybe you just feel more comfortable relying on your offense or- and therefore get a little bit lackluster on defense. It- it's weird. It- I- do you have any possible like theories to that?
0: No, I- I've asked some of the guys about that stuff and and I think, you know they they've said similar things like it's just they they kind of assume that eventually the shots are are going to fall right and on the road and we've seen it with them particularly lately like the shots don't always fall so they have to they have to grind to win in different ways on the road than they typically do at home and i think they're more conscious of that on the road like for example Wednesday night in San Antonio when you know they realize early on the shots aren't falling so they're just relentlessly attacking the, the the rim and they end up with their most points in the paint on the entire season that's I don't know that they would have that mindset if if that were a home game right they might just continue right. playing the same brand and just eventually hope that those outside shots fall and then they build some momentum and get the crowd into it and then the game kind of avalanches against San Antonio in that way, but that's not going to happen when you're not playing at home. So um, I kind of think that's what it is, and and I think as the season goes on, I'm curious to see if they make that adjustment, right? Like if they realize in these games at home they can't just keep popping a bunch of threes when you know they're not going in, they need to they need to switch things up, and maybe it. It involves more of Demonis Sabonis being assertive and, and just putting his head down and going in the post or De'Aaron Fox just getting going early. And, and instead of doing, um, you know, the one on one floater game that he's that he's so good at in the fourth quarter, if he starts doing that earlier on in the game, um, maybe that's that's an adjustment that they need to make. And I'm sure that that'll be the type of thing to if and when they make the playoffs. I, I mean, I think I'm. I'm fairly comfortable in saying I think they're going to make the playoffs, yeah. and they should be a team that's that's better than the play-in. But if they get there, I think it's going to feel like, even though they're going to be at home and that atmosphere is going to be electric, um, I think the the style of game is going to is going to tend to look more like what they have how they have to play on the road, if that makes any sense, because they're going to be even home games. Where the the three point shots aren't falling, and they're just going to have to rely on De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Sabonis to to be really aggressive and go attack the rim and attack the paint and try to score in the ways that they like to score. Whereas in the regular season, you're seeing them, you know, look to spray a lot of threes. So uh, I, that that's one thing I think is it's just a mentality thing. It's just a comfort level thing, and it's still overall a pretty young team that's still kind of trying to figure out how to how to be how to maintain a high level of play. Um but you know it, if things are going to go as well as they want them to go this season, they're going to have to learn how to how to overcome those types of situations at home and on the road and I think you're you're sort of seeing signs of it during this road trip.
1: Yeah, winning ugly. And I I think right. that they haven't done that all too often throughout the course of this year. There's been more as we've gotten further along here. Um but being able to pull that off is big and I think Sabonis, um, we saw in these couple home games before they began this road trip that teams were really playing him more as a passer. At one point, Coach Brown compared it a little bit to Draymond Green, that they're almost like faking the help and then going back out to shooters, knowing he wants to be passed first. And in these three games, you have 24.7 points from Domas. You still have the typical 11.3 rebounds, um, but it's only 3.3 assists. Like, I knew that when he needed to he could score more but i think that that mindset maybe needed to or just the recognition of like okay this that night wasn't an outlier like teams are starting to play me a little bit differently um so switching that up a little bit and seeing him put up the scoring production that he has throughout the course of this trip that 34 that he had against san antonio um only 17 against minnesota but that's on seven of ten from the field and they in their second showing um I, I think that he's been playing differently um only because teams are forcing him to
0: yeah i also think he's playing a little bit differently because so many of his assists tend to go to kevin herter right and right. when kevin herter isn't shooting well which he hasn't been shooting well on this road trip hardly at all um then the king then mike brown Goes more towards Malik Monk. And the difference between Domas Sabonis playing with Malik Monk and Kevin Herter is that Malik Monk and, and Sabonis are running pick and roll, and Monk is, is looking for Sabonis. Whereas, you know, we see so many dribble handoffs with Kevin Herter and, and Domas, where Herter's the one shooting, right? So it's almost like with Monk getting that playing time, that, those, the, the scoring versus distributing for, for Sabonis kind of switches. Um, when when those guys are on the floor together. So it's a little bit interesting. And, and I, I do think Monk and Sabonis have really built a, a pretty solid chemistry together when it comes to that pick and roll dynamic, because even, you know, you don't even see Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox run that that traditional pick and roll a whole lot. It's more dribble handoff stuff um, and more screens allowing De'Aaron some of that freedom to get in the lane and maybe switch on to somebody and, and, you know, i step guys to, to get to that mid range and and the floaters that he likes so much. But um, you know, there isn't a whole lot of diving in the King's offense when it comes to like a big man and pick and roll, unless it's Domas and Malik Monk running, running it together. Um, And so that's, I think a, a big part of the change too. And, you know, curious to see like, can, can Malik Monk and Kevin Herter, be hot at the same time right because it's like it, it feels like recently when when Herter's hot then Monk is not getting much burn but if if Herter's not shooting well then Monk's getting a lot of playing time and I think that's been a factor in in him playing pretty well particularly on offense the last couple of games um so I don't know that you necessarily need both of those guys to be hot at the same time but I know or I feel like the Kings would be really difficult to beat if those guys were able to be hot at the same time and, and if somehow they were able to play on, on the floor together, which we haven't seen a whole lot of. Um, so I, I think, you know, with Domas in particular, one of the more underrated things about his season is just how versatile he is because, you know, we, we've seen him, you know, distribute to guys and do the dribble handoffs and spray the ball to all those three-point shooters and rack up all those assists. But now you're starting to see when those three-point shots aren't hitting and, and Kevin Herter isn't shooting particularly well, you're seeing Domas have to score more, and you're seeing the, the more full arsenal of post-play and finishing with both hands and pump fakes and footwork um, and all that stuff. And, and you're really starting to see a, a, pretty, a pretty damn good center like on the offensive end in Domas. And we know he's been good, but we're seeing him do it I think in, in different types of ways. Um, and so when the Kings, you know, get to the playoffs, like you said, they're going to have to win ugly. They're going to have to win in different ways. And I think Sabonis versatility is going to be a huge part in that.
1: Absolutely. And to your point about, uh, Herter and Monk at, on this trip, three of 15 from three for Kevin Herder, five of nine for Malik. Um, but you also got 13 assists in there with nine turnovers. Um, but you know, that's, that's Malik Monk, right? Um, and
0: and probably the most insane miss dunk you'll ever see what that dude what the hell
1: like <laughs> to do that off a spin move is crazy and how far I thought, he talked it back like what was your yeah angle i thought
0: so i was at i was at mid court. i was in the second row um and uh like they, they put us right courtside and i was oh, you know i thought he was gonna spin and and lay it in um but no he spun and i mean the thing with malik I I mean, people know, but like what's really impressive when you see him in person is just how much he hangs in the air when he when he jumps like he has serious bounce to the point where he feels like he's in the air for a long time, but he also gets up super quickly. Yeah, he's gliding, but he just he gets he's he just jumps super explosively. And in, in that one, I was like, oh, spinning layup. And then no, like midway through the air, he cocks back and tries to throw it down. And I was just like. I almost fell out of my chair because like the, the angle I had when, when I saw it on TV, it was kind of less impressive because of how far away from the rim he was. And it was like, Oh, that was kind of a, you know, like not like unrealistic that he was, that he was going to make that dunk. But from the, from the angle I had, he was, it looked like he was, he had a really good shot at making it. Um, But no, he's Malik's just, he, I mean, he's a character, man. Like that type of play, I think fits in exactly with, The type of personality he has like if he has an opportunity to do something insane he's gonna take it um and i honestly i think i think that's what his teammates one of one of the things his teammates like about him
1: yeah it's super ballsy to even attempt that and it's it's very malik (laughs) to your point Uh, his athleticism is is insane like what what you're saying when he rises up like he it's sometimes he just keeps going and you're like what is he gonna stop like De'Aaron's Aaron's a ridiculous athlete in his own right and in that same game De'Aaron threw a lob to Malik and he caught it and threw it down reverse um which it's always yeah. fun when those when those two guys are are connecting either side of that um but I think that the shooting we saw in San Antonio to win ugly in that game as well. Uh, I think that they've now improved to, I believe it's four and nine in games where they make 10 or less triples. Um, and of course those are going to be tough nights. I'm, I'm honestly surprised that there are 13 games this year where they've made 10 or less when the team is shooting nearly 40 a night and they have as many good shooters as they are, but sometimes that's going to happen. And, uh, and you got to make sure to still be able to find ways to win outside of that. And that was a San Antonio team that uh, came into the game and then instantly lost Jeremy Sohan and Trey Jones. And, you know, they San Antonio kept it close, but I didn't really feel a type of way about like, oh, San Antonio's still in this game. I, I thought that the Kings had a rough night shooting the ball and I never really worried about San Antonio coming back. I don't know about you.
0: It It felt like the game like during the game i was like through basically until midway through the fourth quarter i kept asking myself like why aren't the kings up 20 right now because you just look at you know who san antonio had on the floor and you're like there you know this is not this is not like a real nba team that's trying to win games and obviously obviously they're they're you know deep in the victor Wembanyama sweepstakes but um yeah they were hitting some shots and and i don't think the kings played with a ton of defensive intensity in that one. And, um, you know, there there were some offensive rebounds that Jakob Pertl got. Uh, Mike Brown wasn't as hard on the team as he typically is when it comes to their defense about that. He actually um, mentioned like, oh, you know, there are some unlucky bounces and, they got some offensive rebounds that, you know, it, it wasn't like a lackadaisical effort on the Kings part, which he said, which I thought was interesting because, you know, a team like that, to allow the Spurs to shoot fifty-five percent for basically the entire game, I was you know, I was a little dubious of, of that defensive effort, but ultimately, you know, the the better team sort of put its foot down uh near the end of the fourth quarter there and 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 they pulled away a little bit. But um no, that game was that game was definitely interesting from the standpoint of like talked about Kevin Herter like I saw Kevin Herter at shoot around you know he's he's a guy who really doesn't he does not like shooting poorly like he was he was getting a lot of extra extra shots in that shoot around and you know a a lot of the guys left on on the bus and a few people stayed late and ended up taking I think they took Ubers on their um back to the hotel from shoot around because Kevin like just wanted to keep shooting and keep shooting (laughs) um but he's he's still you know he still didn't didn't shoot all that well i think he had 5 points in the game but no that was that was a game like sabonis it was just a game where you mentioned winning ugly like they didn't they didn't have much aside from sabonis fox and and then malik given the spark that that he gave them and and even malik too like he didn't really start scoring a whole lot until the fourth quarter but he was putting his imprint on the game early with his energy with his defense he obviously won defensive player of the game with and got his first chain post game never thought Um, i'd see the day (laughs) i know (laughs) um and it was it was a good video post game too but that's to be expected i think do you you know by the way are they
1: now bringing like a smoke machine and like lights and like a whole setup on the road or what is
0: it so so the lights have been on the road for a while i think they're at home too but they're like these little laser pointers and i think everyone okay just so it's grabs still just laser then, pointers yeah it's laser pointers but i think the smoke machine is a new addition <laughs> but um yeah man it's it's funny like malik really wanted it he you could see if you've seen the video that king social yeah. put out like malik really has wanted a defensive player of the game chain for a while now. So. I think that that's a that's obviously a good thing for them. Like they need if he's going to be on the floor, they need him to play well defensively because he is undersized for a two guard. Um, Not that that's a huge deal in today's NBA, but like if he's going to contribute, it can't just be on the offensive end. They need they need him to be a pest defensively. and, And he certainly was against the Spurs. I don't know if he's going to be able to maintain that against you know better teams than than the Spurs, who I think they have the worst offense in the NBA, or at least one of the worst. I'm pretty sure. At least with all the guys yeah. they're missing, I'm sure I'm sure they're one of the worst. So, um, but no, Malik, if he brings that defense, I, I think it raises their ceiling overall because of how much they, they rely on him to not only bring energy and bring scoring, but just um, I mean, if if he can bring defense, it's a different dynamic for sure.
1: Yeah, I think him and Herter uh, Malik and Herder, at times teams will kind of try to target those guys. And it, if yeah. they can try to limit the amount of times that those are successful from opposing teams, obviously their offense can, can carry them. Like I, I think if this team can just be not atrocious for three quarters and then find a quarter in the game where they lock up, they can typically run away with games or at least extend yeah. a, a decent lead. Um, yeah. and, and then you just have to not totally blow it through different portions Um, moving to the all-stars that were announced today, um, all-star reserves for the Western conference, we got, um, well, okay. So the starters to go there first are Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, um, Zion Williamson, where am I? Nikola Jokic. And who am I missing? Um, Why? LeBron James. Yes, thank you. Oh, it's over here as the (laughs) yeah, that would make sense. He's in his own picture, and I got totally lost on this graphic. Um, so yes, Steph, LeBron, Luca, Jokic, and Zion. And the reserves were announced today, and we got Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, John Morant, Paul George, Laurie Markinen, Demonis Sabonis, and then Jaron Jackson Jr. and Damian Lillard. Um, most surprising name on the list to you.
0: Um, so it's interesting. Like I know Jaron Jackson Jr. Is regarded as like one of the best, if not the best defensive players in the league right now. Um, but when the King, when the Kings played the Grizzlies, what last week or a couple weeks ago, um, I, I talked to some coaches before the game about Jaron Jackson and and you know this and Mike Brown said it, but they're not they don't really care about blocks. Yeah. Like they think blocks are are kind of overrated as a statistic in terms of what they mean to playing productive defense. And it, you know, I I think they don't have they don't think Jackson is some like all-world defensive player just because he does have a bunch of blocks. What what they said is like, well you a guy who goes after blocks is somebody who you can get into foul trouble and um, and potentially play off the floor. And, you know, I think that's when the Grizzlies are struggling, that tends to happen with with Jackson a lot. So I think he's the guy I would probably point to in terms of the guy that De'Aaron Fox is probably more deserving than Um, not to say that he's a bad player or anything. I know it's the, the all star conversation is tough because. There's so few spots and the most difficult thing about talking about snubs is like you have to take a really, really good player off the team in order to get somebody on the team that you thought should have made it right. So um, but in terms of like overall um, body of work, I know Jackson's dealt with injuries. I know he has crazy block numbers um, and he's probably going to end up winning defensive player of the year, or at least he's a betting favorite, at least in early February. Um, So that's the guy that kind of stood out to me. Like I know Memphis is having a great season. They're 32 and 20. Um, they did lose to Cleveland tonight, but I, I just, that that's sort of the guy. Like I, I get, you know, I, I think the Dame stuff Dame played what 39 games and Fox is at 47. Yeah. Um, he's averaging and 30. I know he's averaging 30. That's the thing. It's like, it's how, how can you, how can you take a 30 point score with, a track record like him and not you know not have him on the all-star team um, and obviously it's not all about track record but like that that clearly right. plays a part of it in terms of bias and how coaches are voting and stuff like that but i think the in terms of the guy that fox probably should have been given not over i would say jaron jackson jr although it is different because it's different positionally and i'm not i'm not entirely sure like how that how that all works with the with the positional stuff. But I do think Fox is probably going to be the first alternate. If one of the guys um, ends up not playing in the game and, and that's probably going to be Zion Williamson, I would think.
1: Yeah, hopefully I, I think how it ended up working out is we did it's two backcourt, three front court, and then two wild cards for the reserves. Um, and the two backcourt in my mind are SGA and jaw. Um, and then you have three front court, Laurie, Sabonis and then I would imagine either one of Jaron Jackson or Paul George. And then you have a final guard of, of Damian Lillard. Um, and, you know, maybe yeah. one of those other guards was a wild card instead of Dame. Um, but I thought S J and Jaws numbers were, I thought those guys were pretty obvious um, to me. Yeah, it comes same. down to PG and, and Jaron Jackson. Like yeah, I, didn't really consider Jaron Jackson until like somebody had pointed out to me this morning. And I was like, okay, well, that's actually an interesting one that I hadn't thought of. I know he missed his first 14 games. um, But like you said, like probably the favorite right now for the defensive player of the year. And I understand why the coaching staff um, feels the way they do about blocks. For sure. They're, they're big on verticalities. Right. And definitely like the 3.3 blocks, I can't help, but like, just be like, Holy shit at, you know, and there is the right, foul trouble yeah. that comes with it, but three point three blocks a game is absurd. And he is so good on defense. Um, he's also putting up I these don't sound amazing, but sixteen and a half points, six point seven rebounds on fifty, thirty-six, seventy-eight. Like I think his his counting stats are fine as well. Um, I, I didn't hate it. I did not have Jaron Jackson on my um on my like you know, worksheet ballot, I guess. Um, but then after the fact, I'm like, you know, maybe I would have actually given it to him over PG if I gave it more consideration. Um, because I think if you want to make the defense argument, it's a lot easier to for Jaron Jackson, right? And, and Paul George is a better right. defender than De'Aaron Fox. So I'm not denying that. Um, but I, I think that like numbers-wise, production of team, all these teams are pretty close, by the way. I think that the me make sure I get this right here. Two games under the Grizzlies is the Kings, and two games under the Kings is the Clippers. So these teams are all fairly close in the standings. Um, But I I think that De'Aaron's, you know, one more point than than PG, but he does have uh, one more assist, one less rebound. Like, the percentages look a little bit better, obviously, from three for PG, but better... From the field for De'Aaron and I would just personally give it to De'Aaron between the two because I think that while PG is a better defender, I think that De'Aaron's clutch numbers should have put him over the top. I, I think he's a yeah, leader I- in true shooting percentage in the clutch. They've played so many clutch games and it's it hasn't been all for nothing like they're winning these close games.
0: And Fox has played in 10 more games throughout the season. Right. So. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you on that. I, I think that makes sense. The Clippers are, you know, they are the fourth team in the West. Um, I don't know the the All Star stuff. I try not to get. I know it, it matters a lot, um, but I try not to get too wrapped up in it because I don't. I don't really remember year after year like who is an All Star. You know, I know like that it's right. the All Star conversation is all about legacy and stuff like that. But like, I don't know. Do you think a year from now we're going to be talking about? Paul George and Jaron Jackson Jr. and Darren Fox's all-star candidacy. You know, I think it, it's certainly something to talk some about. Some people will be. When it comes to- <laughs> yeah, some people will be, sure. I, and I'm not trying to dismiss any of them. But just for me personally, like, I don't know. I like I think all NBA is, is way more important. And ultimately oh. how you do that season is, is way more important. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I think Fox is ultimately going to end up playing in the game, right? Like, I think... I think he'll be the first call if Zion doesn't play because he's still dealing with that hamstring that he's not even back from yet. And I can't imagine the Pelicans are going to be like, yeah, you know, go play in the All-Star game, given everything that's <laughs> that they've gone through with him and injuries over these last couple of years. So uh, as much as it might sting um, for Kings fans to, to not have De'Aaron Fox initially in the All-Star game, I, I do think there's a really good chance he's going to be in it regardless.
1: Hopefully, um, if I, I didn't feel too much of a type of way about him not making it either. I I think that like, it was kind of already a toss up for me if, if he would make it, I, I think that he's still deserving. And like in that conversation, just as much as, as some of the guys that did make it, if there is an injury replacement for Zion, which seems likely, um, and it goes to either Anthony Edwards or like Aaron Gordon or Anthony Davis, like, I might feel a little bit of a type of way. Anthony Davis was playing insane when he when he was healthy, but it, his number of yeah. games is is I don't know. It, it's still a bit more than what you saw with Jaron Jackson. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's interesting. And hopefully Fox gets a replacement. I saw somebody jokingly say like Domas should claim that he wants to sit out the All-Star game because of his thumb and then De'Aaron would get the spot.
0: <laughs> and I thought that was a hilarious
1: idea um,
0: that yeah, it's not bad.
1: But yeah, I don't know. I thought the most egregious thing, honestly, was was Siakam not making the team. Um, but I obviously pay more closer attention to the West than the East. Um, last topic I want to move to here with you, Chris, before I get you out of here is the trade deadline that's approaching. We're recording this a week away from the trade deadline. And I asked you beforehand just to kind of get an idea of like, is there anybody you're interested in or anything? So that way I make sure I'm, I'm all researched. And and thought out. And I think you're in the minority for saying you think they should sit tight. I I'm comfortable if they sit tight. Um But I, I think that most people disagree and I'm curious why you feel that way.
0: Yeah. I mean, so first of all, I think uh, I totally understand why people disagree. I think generally everybody wants their team to try to do something aggressive at the trade deadline. Right. That's just like, what, what we do as fans just in general. Right. So I totally get it. Um, I think the Kings, frankly, are ahead of schedule and in, in terms of, you know, rebuilding and now all of a sudden being a playoff contending team um, and being ahead of schedule allows you to not have to be super aggressive at the trade deadline. And I think right now, like, I don't know the uh, unless there's a deal where the Kings can absolutely swindle somebody, I, it just to me looks like a seller's market. In terms, of, um, in, in terms of what, what it's going to look like. Like, you're going to have to give up a lot to get a little, in my opinion, right? And so, um, you know, the Kings' best trade asset is probably Keegan Murray. And why, why are you necessarily in a rush to get Keegan Murray off your team uh, to you know, and, and pull in a veteran? Like, is, there, is, the, is trading for, let's just say, the Heat fall out of it or whatever, and they decide that they want to trade Jimmy Butler? right? Is Jimmy Butler on this team? Like, is that going to bring the Kings a championship now? I'm not necessarily sure. And wouldn't it, wouldn't you be better off just riding it out with Keegan Murray, just seeing what he becomes, um, because he's on a rookie contract because he could develop into a, into a player that becomes immensely valuable, particularly because he's on his rookie contract moving forward, rather than, you know, trying to make a deal for somebody that you know, if the Kings make a deal, say, for a veteran, um, it's going to cost them multiple role players, right? Or multiple rotation players, I should say. And I just think they have a good thing going. They're ahead of schedule and they should just develop what they have and see if they can win with what they have and see what it looks like in the playoffs with this current group before trying to figure out if they need to make a substantial move, right? And I, I, I'm not opposed to making a, a, a trade. For them you know on on the edges of the roster like if if they want to go get Mason Plumlee um, for I don't know Terrence Davis in a couple seconds or Terrence Davis for Sean Holmes in a couple seconds fine but also like I don't know if Charlotte or, or any other team is really all that interested in getting guys on expiring contracts right because expiring contracts right now in the NBA feel like they have less value than they typically than, than what we normally think right like we we normally think like oh a team has expiring contracts like cap space is super valuable well it's not really as valuable anymore because free agents aren't going to teams like charlotte um right. to you know like like that that cap space is not going to do them a whole lot of good they're going to end up with um you know w- without a whole lot to show for the cap space in this coming off season and so i just don't know you know why like teams want to dump contracts Sure, but in terms of like getting expiring deals for tanking teams it, there's not much benefit in it and just in being able to have cap space so and like i just think that it, it's it's kind of a weird market and i think the kings would behoove themselves to take a long-term approach and realize that like yeah you're the third team in the West and theoretically the third team could contend to get to say the conference finals in theory, but you know, let's uh, if I'm Monty McNair and the fact that he just signed an extension is obviously a huge part in this, right? Because he can take the long-term view instead of trying to make a deal that could ultimately change his fate with the team. He doesn't have to worry about that anymore. So he can take the long-term view and then say, all right, Let's see how Keegan Murray plays in the playoffs. Let's see if Malik Monk can give us some, you know, some juice in in the playoffs for the first time really that he's ever been in the playoffs. Let's see if Sabonis can become uh, an even better playoff player after getting a taste of the playoffs during his time with the Pacers. Um, Let's see how De'Aaron Fox handles the playoffs, right? Like I I think playoff reps are super important uh, just overall. And, and that, those playoff minutes are gonna look way different than what the Kings are are how they're playing in the regular season right the playoffs are just such a different animal that you're gonna learn way more about your team when you get to the playoffs than you are right now and frankly like when the Kings lose games I don't really look at it like oh they would they're losing this game they're losing these games because of their roster I think they're losing these games because of just how they're playing like I think their roster is good enough and it makes like the roster makes a lot of sense right now like they have a lot of pieces that complement each other really well and that fit together Uh, whereas if you were to make a trade like I just don't know that you're getting good value and you're kind of upsetting the apple cart and you might be losing that long-term view on what this team could be if it went through a few playoff runs and got those playoff reps together like You know, the Warriors, the Warriors had a couple playoff runs before they became champions, right? Like they had to figure out how to play in the playoffs in 2013 and 2014 before they really took that step in 2015. And the Kings haven't had any playoffs experience at all yet. So if I'm them, I'm just taking this current group I have without making any major changes, seeing how they do in the playoffs when everything is drastically different, when the game slows down. Uh, when defense is obviously more of a priority and then when you get to that point you have a better idea of what you need to improve upon and then you have the offseason to potentially make some moves that's how I would look at it because I I just don't you know you might cost yourself a chance at having um, you know a really good player for a long time somebody like Keegan Murray if you're like okay I could go get say Pascal Siakam or OG Ananobi or something yeah maybe those guys are are clear and obvious upgrades but then you're costing yourself draft picks that you could potentially move later down the road when you have a better idea of what you need or uh, you know rotation players when frankly like the Kings don't have a lot of wing depth right like they have Harrison Barnes and Keegan Murray and Trey Lyles in terms of like wing players not counting guards like Kevin Herter and Malik Monk but like I just think they're better off seeing what they have for right now this year, realizing that they're ahead of schedule, playing it out, and then waiting till the offseason to make any substantial changes.
1: Ahead of schedule, couldn't agree with more. I, I think that like this year, barring some major collapse, is already a success. And we've heard yeah. Coach Brown talk so much about the importance of, of experience in the postseason and how much this team lacks it. You know, even the guys like like Domas has gone three times. He's never been out of the first round, right? Um, Kevin Herter does have that run to the Eastern Conference Finals. He was phenomenal in that Game Seven uh, of Ben Simmons' last game in Philly. But that's one series there, um, or or one run there. And I, I just think that there's not enough guys that have substantial playoff experience on this roster, particularly the main guys that you can just overlook that and assume that, well, if we got one more piece, like we'd be right in contention. Like, I I think that's a little crazy and I don't actually think that there's any like moves. I mean, I've, you know, been told specifically, like they do not want to trade Keegan Murray, which of course they said they don't want to trade Tyrese Halliburton um, for what it's worth, but that they think that Keegan Murray can be better than a Laurie marketing. Like, why would we trade Keegan Murray for Laurie marketing? He's going to be better than that. And, Sure, believing in Keegan that much, like there has been flashes recently where I could see how maybe you could talk yourself into that. I don't know if I'm quite at that level, but like any of the starting five, I don't think should be touched with. I I don't think that Malik Monk should be moved. I pretty much on the same with Davion. If if there was something more, I, I don't know. I'm not like not, nobody's untouchable, right? For the right deal, I guess. But right. I don't think that you need to move anything like that. To me, what stands out is like Terrence Davis is expiring. Alex Len is expiring. And both those guys each make about 4 million. You could get to taking back like a $12 million player there. And then you have nine second round picks and that are usable. And then you have two TPEs: one that's just over 4 million from the Tyrese trade and one that's 1.6 and some change from the Bagley trade. Like to me, you know, you could look at, at backup center, right? For example, that, which is something that you floated around, um, does. And and then you could also look at, you know, adding another wing player, like you kind of hinted at, like to me, I I think a hypothetical scenario I laid out today, like I've really talked myself into Josh Richardson, right? I think he's a guy that could be your seventh, eighth guy. And just to add another piece, right? He reminds me of Dante DiVincenzo a bit, where I, I think he's a capable shooter, um, can put the ball on the floor and be a connector. Sometimes he'll do a little bit too much on offense, but at the same time, he's a pesky defender. And I, I think a rotation player on a good team, maybe some nights that he he doesn't have it, but just like anybody, and he's expiring contract. You could do Terrence Davis, Alex Len, and say two second round picks for Josh Richardson, and then, you know, I don't know that I think uh, Serge Ibaka can still play basketball at all, but if it's meaning a f- your four million dollar tpe that would expire anyways on the seventh and then for example your own second round pick which right now is projected projected to be pick 54 to get a guy that maybe can probably not but worst case he's another della Vadova, and all you're giving up is the 50th pick in the draft and we've heard how much they love matthew della vadova's veteran experience as a guy that's gone through it like I think it's small stuff like that that stands out to me. And again, I don't really love Sergi Baca as a player. It's more so just like a hypothetical I'm laying out with, um, to me, assets that like if you don't use outside of the second round picks are kind of just gone anyways. And I'm curious specifically on the backup center, how much of it is because I know you're all about Trey at the backup five or at least that's, you know, you've (laughs) you've talked about really liking that idea and it's worked a little bit as of late. Um, how much of that is, you know, believing that the answer is already on this roster and how much of it is we don't like, why is everybody so worried about the backup five? It's 15 minutes a night.
0: Yeah. And it's probably even fewer than 15 minutes a night in the playoffs. Right. right? Cause like, I kind of think, you know, like in a, in a do or die scenario, like wouldn't you rather just try Trey Lyles with the starters or with, you know, 60% of the starting lineup and maybe Malik or something and with your second unit in, in the playoffs, like just to just increase the pace and see if you can, if you can run a team a little bit. Um, because ultimately like I, you know, these other guys, these other out, like Alex Len's never seen the floor in the playoffs. I don't think Rashawn Holmes is ever going to see the floor in the playoffs. Um, I think Chimezi might, but I think, in order for them to feel more comfortable about him in the playoffs, he needs to be fouling less and probably making more threes. And right now he's not doing that. But I think in terms of skill set, I think Chemezi makes a ton of sense and is kind of the perfect backup center for them. Um, But he just needs to, he needs to be a little bit better and be a little bit more consistent in those areas. Um, So that's like, I'm in on Trey as the backup five, just because like, of what it represents, right? Like how what the the problems that he poses are completely different um than than what Demonis Sabonis poses, right? Like you have, you saw it in overtime the other night in Minnesota, just the speed that he plays with and the fact that he can run around the three point line and pull, you know, Rudy Gobert away from the paint potentially, and then even, you know, play with enough strength and physicality to bother him when it comes to rebounding. Like, obviously, you know, the Kings have an issue with their low man on defense, right? Like, and Trey Lyles is certainly not going to be some shot blocker and and defensive anchor for them. But I don't know that you're going to find one of those guys on the trade market anyway, at least in a deal that makes a whole lot of sense for them. Right. And even so, like, that guy's only going to play 10 minutes. Whereas, you know, maybe just forget all that. Change the way you play a little bit. Up the tempo increase your shooting and, and spread teams out a little bit. And then maybe you could make up the, the, you know, that that could be the way you play with your second string center. Um, at least that's how I look at it in the playoffs. So I, I don't really get wrapped up in terms of the Kings, like absolutely needing to find a backup center at the trade deadline. Like there might be a buyout guy that might fit. I mean, for me, yeah. it's like, I just don't think Rashawn, Holmes and Alex Len fit is why they're not playing. It's not necessarily that they're not good enough, at least in Holmes's case. I think Holmes is plenty good enough, but he's, he's just not a natural fit with what they do. Um, and Mezzi is, but I'm not giving up resources or, you know, like what somebody's going to, I feel like somebody's going to overpay for Mason Plumley. But if you can get Plumley for a song, then yeah, go ahead and do it. There's no reason not to, but given that other teams are going to be in the market for bigs, I think you're probably going to end up overpaying. And I think just in general at the trade deadline this year, I think anybody who goes is going to be overpaid for. So like if I'm the Kings, I'm, you know, I'm not super eager to go overpay for somebody when I have another option potentially in Trey Lyles as a backup five who can be effective in a completely different way. Um, so that's what I, that's what I like about him. I know I've, you know, you, and, you and I have talked about it a little bit at Kings games and, and I was really happy to see Trey Lyles do what he did in overtime in Minnesota. Cause it, it confirmed the hell out of my priors, man. So
1: <laughs> yeah, that was
0: the important thing. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it, in terms of backup did. center, like I think, I think they have, they have enough there. Cause I mean, Sabonis is going to be playing 40 minutes in the playoffs. Like let's be real.
1: Right. No, totally get it. I, I think that, uh, I wouldn't mind some of these marginal moves with guys like I mentioned, TD, Len, Rashawn. I don't think anybody would want to take on Rashawn's contract, but maybe because I, I agree with you. I don't think he's bad. I think this is just a bad fit for him. And then second round picks, TPEs, like something marginal. Sure. Um, but outside of that, I don't know that there's much else. Um, but I'm going to get you out of here, Chris. I know I, I kept you longer than I said. I appreciate you staying and, and talking. Um, I hope the trip has gone smooth for you. Are, are, yeah, it's been good. Are these these uh, cities cold and uncomfortable or what?
0: <laughs> Minnesota was minus five the whole weekend. Oh, so it shit. was definitely cold and uncomfortable. But um, I found some good restaurants. And Minnesota is a, a nice enough downtown that um, it's not a bad place to be by any means. San Antonio, the weather, I mean, it was like 35 in San Antonio and raining. But it, like, it felt super comfortable in comparison to Minneapolis. Um, got some good Tex-Mex. And then I just got to India today, one of my favorite restaurants like anywhere in the country is in Indy. uh Bluebeard if anybody uh, is familiar i highly highly recommend but um, so i just I just came from there actually, and I was happy to eat there tonight might go might go for lunch before the game tomorrow, but no it's <laughs> uh it's been a fun trip. these obviously aren't like tier one nBA cities but uh but it's been it's been fun and uh i'll be I'll be coming home before New Orleans sadly, and uh I'm not frankly honestly not upset at all to be missing the uh the two games in houston <laughs>
1: <laughs> shocker shocker yeah. um yeah well I, I appreciate you again chris biederman um uh, of the sacramento b also candlestick chronicles for all the niner fans out there that are are coping through these hard times um uh, also a blue wire podcast um but that's going to do it for us. Definitely take a look at the Kings Herald and their Patreon, a sport local independent Kings coverage from all the great guys and gals there, including myself. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Post Podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review, and hear from me again next couple days.